0: There's something about reality TV that connects to us. I'm Vicki Zimmer, a recovering media researcher and reality TV fan, and you're listening to Reality TV Mirror. Listening to Sam explain why soap operas had to walk for reality TVs to run, everything has changed in terms of women in the workplace, uh, people being home streaming, but the actual content itself. What's in that content really has stayed almost identical. It's just so bizarre. And now I don't want to give everything away. So let's hear directly from Sam.
1: I'm Sam Ford. I started my career in journalism right at the turn of the millennium and the beginning of the decline in the newspaper business with the rise of digital publishing. So for me. It was an intense interest in all the change and transformation happening in the media industry that drove me to study media and particularly moments of media in transition to the future of media. And that's been what I've what I've done in my career. While I was at MIT, helped uh, found a research group called the Convergence Culture Consortium. So we used to run a a conference called The Futures of Entertainment at MIT and published a, a book called Spreadable Media I only study high art, so that's why my main focuses of media studies have been on professional wrestling and daytime soap operas over the years. I have taught semester long classes about both those subjects and really use them as a lens for understanding changes in American culture, changes in the media industries, as well as the intense relationships that fans form with their favorite series, especially series that go on for many years franchises that aren't limited in nature that don't just have you know one miniseries or limited run but are envisioned to to continue on indefinitely
0: yeah so your joke that you only study high culture why do you think it is that reality tv and things like soap operas and wwe are often seen as being lowbrow
1: yeah I, i think some of it has to do with the volume of content uh, soap operas produce 260 original episodes a year in their model. Most of them are no off season. Uh, pro wrestling likewise. Just the volume of of text. Uh, a company like World Wrestling Entertainment, yeah, you know, no off season, no end in sight. But they're also there are blatant ties between commerce and and art. Even in the name soap opera, the idea. That it is opera, high art, and funded by soap companies uh, like Procter and Gamble and Unilever, is captured. And it was a pejorative. It was a, a mocking the idea of housewives are being sold dishwashing soap at home through these stories that were seen as melodramatic and not appealing to the emotions more than the intellect. And yet, there are many complicated, Issues that get worked out in the course of these sorts of shows. And you see, this is the case in reality television. In many ways, many of these shows had greater diversity of experiences of cast before more respected genres did. And so, for me, there's no greater calling than studying what people spend their leisure time on because so much of our days are tied up in the things we have to do, our precious free time. I think it's significant to say, what do we spend it on? What are the types of things people like reading, watching, and listening to? And then what can we learn about our culture and what happens on the, in those spaces? So for me, what what could be more important to study than reality television?
0: I concur, Sam, I concur. So you said that something about soap operas, getting their name from PG and all of that. Can you describe that relationship a bit more
1: Yeah. So if you think about the development of commercial radio, as radio broadcasting became more prominent, as stations started to figure out the business model, one of the most difficult questions is how do you get listeners coming back? What type of programming could you have that would get a dedicated listener base coming back day after day? And so really the rise of the soap opera was an intent to find programming that would appeal to the audience that's home during the day, which would be, at that time, predominantly housewives. And being able to produce programming that becomes appointment listening that would have a cliffhanger element, something that leaves you wondering what will happen you come back the next day. So in the early 1930s, primarily out of Chicago, came the first radio dramas aimed at housewives and it was soap and household products companies like Procter and Gamble that underwrote and funded those first shows most of them were single sponsor a woman named Erna Phillips one of the great pioneers of american storytelling that most people today don't know about created painted dreams which was the first soap opera in the early 30s and Many of these shows, we're in an era now where people are talking about the rise of audio fiction storytelling. Soap operas were audio fiction storytelling and a genre with great power in the 30s, 40s, into the early 50s. Some of the shows that eventually came onto television, there was a show called Guiding Light that was a radio drama from 1937. Into the early 50s and then converted to television and ran on television from the early 50s all the way to the mid-2000s.
0: Fantastic. So now I'd love to hear what you view as the parallel between soap operas and reality TV.
1: Soap operas had an appeal uh, to audiences for a variety of factors. So the reason I think people were fascinated by soap operas was the chance to get to know a community not just a single protagonist in that community but a whole community of people whose lives are intertwined and then to follow not just what happens in that community but how do the repercussions ripple throughout every character on the canvas and so in a soap opera it's less about action and more about react and you would have a chance the the, the the big thing happens and then over the course of the next several days you see what happens as everybody in town finds out and how it impacts them and what they decide to do in response and there's so much analysis and there have been Academics who've written that perhaps this mirrored what the audience was fascinated with. If you thought about a housewife as the main audience, whose uh, spouse and kids all leave the home and are gone all day, and then they have to try to analyze and pick apart what happened in their loved one's day when they re-enter the home, and I always, you know, thought that was a fascinating or compelling question of why, when soap operas, for instance, entered television, was there such emphasis on You hear what the character says, but then the camera shows their facial expressions. And part of what you have to analyze is the difference between word and the the unspoken nonverbal messages you're being uh, sent uh, by the character. And trying to understand, are people saying what they mean? Do they think really something different? Are they saying different things to different people when they're talking? throughout the course of their interactions in the community and if you think about some of those pleasures of just understanding how a community interacts with one another how you deal with questions where there's not a clear protagonist and antagonist the classic soap opera love triangle gets at that it's at its best when half the fans want the woman in question to choose partner a and the other half of the fandom wants them to choose uh partner b and really, the, the work that happens in soap opera fan communities that I studied on message boards in the early internet days, where you watch the episode, and then it was getting together to analyze what happened, who was in the right, what's going to happen when Barbara finds out, do you think that her anger was justified? Who should, who should Rosanna really choose? And you think about those pleasures, that fan analysis, the ways that The show itself gives a chance for people to call one another up on the phone and talk through and analyze what's happened. Much of that same power of analysis and fascination happens in reality television fandom, especially for certain uh, subgenres of shows.
0: Yeah, I absolutely see that on Instagram meme pages about certain shows. Like for example, Betches is really good at calling back and saying, oh, this character was a hypocrite about something they did here. And all the fans in the comments saying, oh, this is so typical for this person. I also see this a lot on TikTok, actually. There's a lot of pages of people trying to analyze what has happened in shows. In particular, there's a TikTok account called Kardashian colloquium with a K and it's this fan and somebody who has one or two degrees in media studies (laughs) saying, here's me picking apart my theories about why the Kardashians have acted this way. And I've also, (laughs) much to my heart's dismay of all the media podcasts, sorry, not media podcasts, but of all the media blog posts I wrote, the one that got the most traction was one on the Kardashians and how I actually think they're some of the best business people Of the modern day, but so just like fans definitely love picking apart these. Why are these things happening? What's going to happen when this comes out? Is somebody's actions actually aligned with what they're saying they did? It's really fascinating to see that that fan dynamic. Where do you see reality TV fans converging with? soap opera fans, and where do you see their behavior potentially diverging at all?
1: I think one of the real similarities that I see is uh, around many shows, the fan activity, and that could be online, on an Instagram or a TikTok. It could be in private chat with your friend group or your family. But it is that the deeper pleasure in some ways are the conversations that you have with fellow fans analyzing the show. One of the things uh, when I was studying soap opera fandom I found where time and time again people would say I don't know if I'd still be watching this show if it weren't for you my fellow fans. And I realized that the primary activity for many of these fans weren't watch- wasn't really watching the show it was analyzing the show. And for a lot of soaps, uh, especially because soaps have 260 episodes a year, no off season, and they were envisioned to never end, worlds without end. The concept of a show jumping the shark, which you hear people talking about, which is a Happy Days reference of when people felt like that show really went south. But the idea of a show jumping the shark for a soap opera, those shows jumped the shark and back again 100 times over in the course of their run. And yet people would stick with the show often because they would lose the chance to analyze the show with their fellow fans if they quit watching. And I find that interesting, because then you'd say the core activity, to say that these fans are converged around the show or really the ca- isn't the case. The show gives these people an excuse to to join in an activity together, which is analyzing the show.
0: Absolutely. Do you see any differences between reality TV show fans and soap opera fans?
1: I think when it comes to the differences between soap opera fans and and reality television fans, one of the big ones is that soap operas never ended. There was no off-season and no episode was more important than the next, whereas most reality shows have a seasonal structure of some sort. The competition shows, of course, have a very clear projection leading up to a finale that has a formula to it. And so there's a clear sense of the season is a happening, right? There's time off between seasons. And when a new season is going to premiere all the way up to the season finale, you have fans reconverge around that, whatever that so many week run is going to be of a new season. Uh, And it creates a different sort of, it's almost like a family reunion vibe for a fandom in that way. Now's our chance to come back together with the people I know, who also like the show, for us to be able to engage in this practice together rather than the soap opera thing, which was just a a constant presence in people's lives, which is what was powerful about the soaps in some ways, but also what was exhausting from a time commitment perspective. If you commit to a show that never goes off and it's on five days a week, that's a substantial commitment uh, as a fandom.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's something that really makes it hard to get into soap operas. And what was interesting when we were talking about soap operas, at least as uh hashtag millennial, <laughs> I never really considered watching soap operas. Soap operas were something that maybe my parents' generation would watch or I would see my daycare, the woman who ran the daycare I went to as a kid, she would watch it while we were all taking naps. It was something a little bit removed. Why is the soap opera thing a little removed has soap operas declined in popularity do they lack appeal to younger generations am i just an anomaly that i don't like soap operas as a i don't know if i can call myself a younger person but as somebody that grew up with the advent of the internet
1: so if you ask most people in the industry what the decline of soap operas was caused by they'll give you three answers It's the rise of women entering the workforce and no longer being at home during the day. It's the proliferation of choice, the fact that you went from three or four networks on the air to cable television and on-demand, and the quite surprising answer, O.J. Simpson did it. It was the O.J. Simpson trial. Soap operas started on radio in the early 1930s. They lasted through multiple generations, all these twists and turns in American culture, but it was really especially the 2000s and beyond that many of those daytime soaps have gone off the air there are only 4 of them left on air and there are a lot of reasons why one of them is that you know one of them is that housewives were the predominant focus audience and as women increasingly entered the workforce over the course of the uh, 70s and 80s into the 90s in particular, the model of focus, target audience for the show, declined. There's also, you know, there was a time period uh, up until probably the 80s where most people could watch one of three networks during the day or listen to the radio, but there were only so many media choices. And then the rise of cable, the rise of the VCR and being able to time shift What you watch, not to mention then the rise of the internet and just a proliferation of choice, made soap operas less dominant as a genre. Because suddenly you went from being able, in a certain time periods of the day, to watch a soap opera, a soap opera, or a soap opera, uh, and whatever maybe was on PBS, to having an unending number of choices than the soap operas themselves. It was real life. It had drama to it. Nobody knew what was going to happen next, and the network started preempting the soaps to air the trial. And the soap opera fans, A, started watching the trial and all the characters and the supporting characters and the prosecutors and the defense attorneys and following everything around it, that it became it, it supplanted some of that satisfaction from following the soap. But also, you didn't know when your soap was going to be on anymore, and people lost track of the stories, and many of them got out of the habit of watching So those are the three, if you ask people in the soap opera industry, those are the three main things people will point toward when it comes to the decline of soap operas. I'd add one more reason why soap operas have declined. And that is really at the fault of the industry itself, which was all television ratings started declining, starting in you know, the 1970s, 1980s, you could no longer command the sort of audience that you could for I Love Lucy or, or All in the Family or MASH as cable television rose, as all these greater choices arose. And what you saw many shows doing, many networks doing, is really getting hyper-focused on target demographics, being able to look at really just trying to reach an 18 to 34-year-old female audience, for instance, or teen dramas that would focus on trying to tell the story of a, uh, you know, a pack of teenagers and the show would go off by the time they graduated college or uh, shortly thereafter. So that was, and so soap operas started to do some of the same thing. They said, okay, we've got, the ratings are sliding. We've got to get young viewers because that's who advertisers want. And they started focusing really specifically just on younger characters In the process, they drove off a lot of their longtime viewers and you lost a recruiting mechanism. Most of the people who watch soap operas grew up with it because their mother, their grandmother watched. And it became an intergenerational fandom. And so the more you lost mom and grandma, then you had generations who came up who weren't in the habit of watching soaps. And you don't watch them because they have great production value. They're all shot. Live to tape, usually one take. Unless an an actor has a violent sneezing fit, they're not going to retake that scene because they produce 260 hours of television a year. They don't have time for that. And it's not an easy genre to get into. Not to mention these stories air 260 episodes a year and they've been on the air forever. If you don't have a fan guide to help you get into the show, they're really hard to start watching midstream. You tune in and... There's no, the structure of the, of the episode picks up where yesterday's left off. So you're just in the middle of it. You start and you're just in the middle of a conversation. If it's the first show you've ever watched, you don't know who the people are. You don't know what they're talking about, but it just jumps right in. And then it ends in the middle of the, uh, another conversation and you're going to pick back up tomorrow. And it is a genre that required such deep onboarding that it became very hard to maintain that fandom. Another thing that happened was that in the mid-1990s, there was a major disruption to airing the soaps, and that was the O.J. Simpson trial. And when O.J. Simpson was uh, arrested for the... Double Murder, all the networks realized people were glued to this story, and it became a more compelling soap opera of sorts. And the fact that uh, you could no longer watch the soap operas, they were preempted for months in the mid-1990s, that a lot of people point toward.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So if you think about what the O.J. Simpson trial provided, it was a drama involving a celebrity that many people knew that became a peek into the real lives of a whole cast of characters. Uh, A mystery that needed to be solved that people were trying to pick apart and a chance to hear a lot of characters provide their perspective and the viewers try to decide who to trust, what really happened. Many of those pleasures are cornerstone pleasures of reality television fandom. And the ways that you got to know this whole cast of characters and watch as their lives intersect is why they're producing prestige miniseries about the O.J. Simpson trial today and documentaries that people are still fascinated uh, by and glued to.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about why it's so fascinating for us to watch ensembles of characters to see these character ecosystems play out? Why is that so fascinating?
1: Yeah, I think life is complicated. Social network sites like Facebook and Instagram and everything that we use to communicate with one another today are really about watching the unfolding lives of an ensemble cast. Our lives are a reality drama or a soap opera playing out and through media. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but I regularly get glued to a drama in my Facebook feed. Maybe it's in my family. Maybe it's somebody uh, I went to high school with, but suddenly you watch a whole drama play out in their posts and their comment section and other characters pop in and the whole nine yards. So I think this is the drama that mimics real life. It's the sort of thing you can watch and see elements of your own life reflected through, see Characters you don't know battling their way through issues that you yourself might face or wonder what you would do if you did face. Uh, And instead of having a central protagonist who tells you this is the person you must uh, like in this scenario, who you must follow, you watch the complex interactions... Of a whole cast of people, and viewers can debate themselves: who's the hero, who's the villain, who was in the right in this scenario, rather than having a lot of old genres. They told you who you were supposed to root for in the name of the show. The name of the show was the name of the protagonist of the show. (laughs) So (laughs) there's just that chance to have choice and to watch something that has more nuance in that way and more moral complexity that I think really draws people to these genres.
0: Yeah. And I also wonder, at least within the US is younger generations, such as mine, I'm in my late 20s. A lot of us are really into reality TV folks that you think wouldn't be into it. And the more I think about it, my friends that I have that are really into reality TV, are often folks that have had to move social circles multiple times, whether it be you're moving out of your hometown, to go to college, you're moving to a new city to take a new job, you are trying to change something in your life. So you just have the social structure around yourself dissolve that I think for centuries or even millennia, you've had a consistently a consistent support system that stays the same. You have that continuous ensemble characters in your own life. And so with the crumbling of that social fabric, I wonder if then following the Kardashians over 20 years gives you some sense of continuity of looking at these relationships while you may have characters in your own life go fade in and out, um, thinking about just how you have, you're have you focusing on a career or now you're focusing on a partner or now you're buying a house in a new city. Maybe you're moving home to be close to your family. As those variables shift, these ensembles and reality TV provide some consistency and structure of social fabric and relationships. So I wonder how much that comes into play of drawing us into franchises as well.
1: It it makes a, a, a huge difference. I think people are drawn to ensemble cast shows because they are able to watch a consistent cast of characters intersect with one another. There were stories, anecdotal stories constantly about soap opera fandom of people hearing their mother or their grandmother on the phone talking about a drama that happened and for a while you think they're talking about their neighbors, or people in their real community. And only when you hear how outlandish the story gets do you realize that they're talking about the residents of Oakdale or Springfield on the soap opera that they watch. But I think it's that chance to, no matter where you're at in the world, could you tune back in and see the latest drama or happening of the characters in this place that are f- that's familiar to you that you can tap into and tune into? It makes a big difference. And I think those pleasures carry over to reality television as well, it is a it is about these are shows about community, and as we have to con- construct our own community in our own lives in new and different ways, when we travel frequently, and p- the number of places people work and live in their life continues to proliferate. Having these, not just the shows you can go to that are familiar, but if you have a core group of fellow fans who you dissect that show with. Those people can be located anywhere in the country, but you find a way to virtually come together around watching that show when a new season hits. And I think that that means a lot in people's lives.
0: Before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to talk about?
1: I think one of the things that draws people to soap operas is that it's a genre based on more classically feminine forms of communication. Decisions are made through dialogue. It's about characters expressing their feelings to one another, debating who's in the right, what's the right thing to do, checking on one another and analyzing. And I think reality television brings forth some of the same pleasures. It's not primarily factually based, it's not uh, plot-driven. It's about collaboration, it's about dialogue, Uh, it's about understanding characters' emotions and people talking to one another, uh, learning from one another, coming to a consensus on things. Uh, You know, it models a set of dialogue that I think people are really drawn to, and a lot of genres classically have not provided.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I spent maybe two hours talking about why I love Real Housewives (laughs) with a friend. And at the end of the conversation, I realized there aren't any other shows that I can think of where I just get to see a bunch of different types of women talking to each other. And that's the show. Nobody gets murdered. Nobody gets pushed under a bus, literally, figuratively, maybe. And so those spaces are really rare to see inter-female relationships flourish, and then also conflict? How is that resolved without a boyfriend cheating on somebody? And what does the the man come and do? So that's a really fascinating point.
1: Let me pick up on that. So I think one of the reasons why daytime soap operas have experienced a decline is the industry began to misunderstood what people liked most about it. So the things that ter- stereotypically get considered as a soap opera, cat fights, amnesia storylines, uh, suddenly a character comes back from the dead, an evil twin, all these outlandish, over-the-top storylines that get played off hokey action scenes and explosions, those have become associated with the genre in a way that drove younger audiences away from it. And if anything, a lot of the shows leaned into that instead of away from it. And yet what really drew people to this genre was intergenerational women dealing with issues and having stories mostly shown from a female perspective, watching how those women come together and talk with one another and work through or battle through differences Uh, And what you've seen happen is that other genres like reality television has come along and in many cases done a better job of doing what the soap opera format pioneered. And viewers have gravitated to those genres for those same pleasures.
0: Thanks again to Sam Ford for having this conversation with me. Now, in future episodes, we're going to keep talking about these themes as what it means to watch relationships play out, Building those relationships and changing dynamics of reality TV over time. So, we'll hope you listen again. That concludes another episode of Reality TV Mirror. Don't forget to go to realitytvmirror.com, apply to be interviewed, and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Bye.